Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Tom Campbell, the former creator, the former executive producer, and the former moderator of NC Spin, and a longtime friend of mine, is, is our guest today. Now he's almost totally useless as he's <laughs> semi-retired. And uh, but uh, we have him on because he does, I think, still keep up with things. At least that's what he tells me. And so that's the reason we have invited Tom back with us again to uh, share his thoughts as an observer of what's going on in North Carolina politics, federal politics, federal government, and uh, things like the state budget and so forth. So, Tom, welcome back to the program. Thank you. And always enjoy being here and uh, constantly and am, am impressed by how many people listen to this show. Congratulations to you. Well, thank you. Uh, it, you know, we, we enjoy doing the program because it does give people a chance to uh, have rather to speak in long form instead of uh, sound bites. And I think that's one of the things that's missing from today's dialogue. And so we hope we are filling that gap a little bit. And, and uh, so anyway, uh, so much for all that. Uh, by the way, I failed to mention that Tom, of course, was at, at one time back, back when he had really good sense was a broadcaster. <laughs> but uh, we, we'll go into that a little later on, too. Well, I'm a uh, podcaster now. Does that count? Yes, that, that counts. Podcasting okay. is interesting, and, and and I think will be a very important part of our uh, opportunity for people to uh, keep up. The, the, the only problem I have with podcasting, Tom, is that it continues the practice of people listening to people they that agree with them. I wish there were some way to get people to always be forced to listen to the other side of whatever issue they're on, so that they would, because the other side always has a has a point. You know, I think you would agree with me that one of the things that uh, deregulation did, which I uh, disagreed with vehemently, was to eliminate the fairness doctrine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because uh, for all those years, we, you and I grew up in a broadcast industry where if you had somebody who made a controversial or outspoken kind of statement, you were obligated to try to find someone else or at least to give voice if someone else requested time uh, for a contrary opinion. Yeah, that uh, that's certainly true. And of course, the other thing that I think was a, it tur has turned out to be a bad decision is the FCC at first, and still does not believe that they have the authority to control cable. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yes. O only licensed broadcasters. So yeah. Anyway. Uh, but we could talk about that all day long. Let's let's uh, turn to uh, North Carolina politics right now. The Senate has come out with their budget. I, I always love this budget process where the Senate has a budget and the House has a budget and the governor has a budget. And then they begin to cop, sort of compromise. Um, I don't guess uh, I, I'm, I'm putting words in your mouth, but I suspect there were no real surprises in the Senate's budget to you. What uh, do you see uh, as uh, your observations of the Senate's version of the proposed budget? Well, let's start with the process first, because uh, we went into this year with Senator Berger and Speaker Moore and the governor all saying, we're not going to have the same kind of conflicts and uh, arguments and all this kind of stuff as we've had in past years. This year, uh, coming out of COVID, we are going to sit down and work together. And for 
a short period of time, it looked it looked as if that was the case. Uh, however, as the process started going further, it became more and more obvious that wasn't. Now, the way this budget dance, and it is a dance, works is first one house. Well, first of all, the governor is required by law to propose a budget. Every governor I've known anything about puts together, spends a lot of time putting together a budget, which then gets stuck on a shelf in the legislature and ignored. Same thing happened this year. Uh, so one house takes uh, the first turn or the first crack at passing a budget. And then the other is supposed to respond and pass their version of the, I don't know why they can't work on them uh, at the same time, but that's just not the way this works. So the Senate uh, got together and put together a 20, uh, $25.7 dollar, billion dollar budget, which of course is a lot of money. I remember when I was working for state treasurer, uh, uh, Boyles, well, Harlan Boyles, uh, the state budget then was seven or eight billion dollars. Now that was back in the uh, mid 90s. So think about what's happened uh, since that period of time 25 billion dollars. Now, everybody has the luxury this year of plenty of money. We have a six and a half billion dollar budget surplus, we have 6.5 billion dollars unallocated, which can be spent. Now, the legislators, and I think they're very smart at this, say they don't want to spend that one-time money on projects that are going to be continuous kinds of projects. But the evidence indicates that our economy is growing. We've come back from the pandemic. We're doing pretty well. Uh, and so we're going to be probably having a very healthy um, state uh, revenue to, to work with in the future. Uh, I am disappointed, candidly, that with all this money, uh, they could take this money. I mean, look at the lessons we learned from what's going on on the federal level. All of these uh, emergency funds that have been passed have been essentially to prime the pump, to put money back into um, uh, the, the, the public and to begin the process of recovering from this pandemic. And guess what? It's worked and it's worked really well. We have a, an economy uh, in this nation that despite that pandemic uh, is pretty doggone healthy. And so under the circumstances, uh, I would have thought that this legislature would have taken some lessons from that and would, would have decided that they were going to use some of this money for pump priming. Think about all the bridges that we've got that need to be, have work and roads. Uh, I mean, if you drive on the Beltline in Raleigh, it's, it's horrible. I mean, the, the pavement is cracked and uh, it's just, it's terrible. We need to be having roads. We've got water systems throughout the state of North Carolina that are substandard and uh, frankly, uh, need desperately need work. There are all kinds of infrastructure things uh, that need to be done in North Carolina. And I would have made as one of my first priorities, if I was doing the budget, uh, that infrastructure money. I would really have gone after that. And, and, and the Senate does have some of that 
uh, involved, and they're using some of the disaster relief funds for that, but nowhere near what I think uh, is needed in this. Uh, the other thing I will say about that budget is the, the Republicans have taken very good lessons from Democrats through the years, and they have, have learned how to slip into a budget document what we call special provisions, which are things that have nothing whatsoever to do with spending or budgeting, but are things that they want to get into law in North Carolina. And they're usually things that they know they couldn't pass out of the General Assembly, or that if they did pass out of it, that the governor would veto it. There are three specific ones that come to mind so far as I'm concerned. First of all is the the business of limiting the governor's emergency powers. Now, I don't care whether you're a Democrat or a Republican. We handled this emergency in North Carolina pretty doggone wisely and pretty well. Uh, what the legislature wants to do, because they don't like the fact that our governor is a Democrat, they want to make him go to get approval from the Council of State, which is totally, well, not totally controlled, but out of the 10 members on the Council of State, only four of them are Democrats. So anything that goes before the Council of State is going to be passed by Republicans. Um, I, I think that is a bad uh, provision. And quite frankly, I think it's going to come back to bite them one of these days. There will be another Republican governor and there will be a change in the in the makeup of the Council of State. Uh, and uh, what goes around comes around. The other thing is that they're trying to limit the authority of, of Josh Stein, the attorney general, um, by saying that he cannot involve the state in any lawsuits that don't involve or do not have as a prospect receiving money back to the state. In other words, they want him to stay out of political lawsuits. Well, that's never been the case with the attorney general. They're tying the attorney general's hands. And in essence, it's a power play because they don't like Josh Stein. And when it gets right down to it, the legislature wants to become the attorney general of North Carolina. That's the bottom line of that. Then they move over to the state board of elections. And they're saying that they're going to take away the investigatory uh, provisions of the state board of elections and turn them over to the state bureau of investigation. Well, that sounds good. That doesn't sound like a problem. The problem is the State Board of Investigations already has more on their plate to do than they have time to take care of. Um, I, I mean, it, it, the, the problem, I mean, they shout on one hand about election fraud, and then they take away the power uh, of the State Board of Elections to do anything about it because why? The State Board of Elections is controlled by, by Democrats uh, because the party in power in the governor's office always has the the, the larger number. I, the, the whole thing, these special provisions, uh, I, I think are disastrous. Mark Bass Knight and Tony Rand uh, made a fine art skill out of it while they were in power. Uh, and I think the Republicans have turned around and done the same thing. I just, I feel like that the budget, uh, we, we could talk about employee pay raises and so forth like that, and maybe we'll have a chance to do so. I think the state budget uh, could have been a lot better. I think it's going to go to the House. I think some of these issues will be corrected there. 
uh, as it stands right now, there's no way in on God's earth Roy Cooper is going to okay that budget. It's going to be vetoed again. We're going to go back to the same kind of problems we've had before, and we haven't passed a state budget in North Carolina since 2018. But this time, Tom, doesn't it appear that uh, at least the Senate version is veto-proof? No. Uh, just because there were four Democrats that joined in voting for it doesn't mean that when, it, when Roy Cooper vetoes it, it's going to come back for a vote. And I think you're going to see some more party-line loyalty, which, by the way, I don't totally agree with either. But uh, I, no, I don't think it's necessarily veto-proof. Well, it'd be interesting to watch. And as you said, the, the, there ought to be some requirement that we do have a budget. I guess we do have a budget in the sense that the, uh, there's a provision that the existing budget carries on. Uh, but uh, it's not a planned budget, and that's uh, not a way to run a ship for sure. Oper operating on a 2018 budget is just in, in 2021, 22, that's inadequate. That's unforgivable. Our guest is Tom Campbell, uh, and Tom, of course, is a keen observer of what's going on in, uh, in politics in North Carolina, as well as federal politics. And we're going to talk about some of the other issues that are facing the General Assembly members, like medical marijuana, Medicaid expansion, and so forth, when we return with the next segment of Carolina Newsmakers. And we'll do that right after these messages. To some people... The sound of a baby babbling doesn't mean much. But that's not necessarily true. By six months, they're combining vowels and consonants. By nine months, they're trying out different kinds of sounds. And by 12 months, their babbling is beginning to take on some meaning. Especially if there's no babbling at all. Little to no babbling by 12 months or later is just one of the possible signs of autism in children. Early screening and intervention can make a lifetime of difference and unlock a world of possibilities. Take the first step at AutismSpeaks.org. A public service announcement brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. The galaxy is safe once again. In the pretend universe, kids play with pretend guns. In the real world, it's up to us to make sure they don't get their hands on a real gun. If you have a gun in the house, keep it locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Safe gun storage saves lives. Learn how to make your home safer at nfamilyfire.org. That's nfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by N Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers with Tom Campbell. And Tom, we talked about uh, your observations of the state budget that has been presented by the North Carolina Senate. We haven't seen the House version. Uh, and we talked about some of your concerns about uh, what has been passed. Um, you know, and by, I, I, and by I, the way, I, let, me say, let me say one other thing about this. The, the House is saying they're not going to pass their version of the budget until mid-July. Now, think about it. The state fiscal year starts July 1. These guys have been in session since since January. Uh, they've had plenty of money. Money hasn't been the issue here. What has taken them so long to get this budget process going? The taxpayers of North Carolina, I think, and, and this is not a Republican-Democrat thing. 
you know well that I used to criticize the Democrats about the way they did the budgets just as much as I do the Republicans when they're in charge. Well, the whole thing is, of course, in North Carolina is somewhat complicated by the fact that we have to have a balanced budget, which in this case is is going to be easy to do because, as we've oh, seen, yeah. there's a great surplus of money. So we're not going to have a problem with uh, balancing the budget, that's for sure. Tom, let's turn to uh, an issue that I think is kind of interesting because it shows how people's attitudes about things change over a period of time. And that's the fact that the medical marijuana legislation appears to be on a fast track to being passed, or at least it looks like it has a chance to be passed. Whereas uh, 10 years ago or 15 years ago, that would not have even been on the agenda. What's your, what's your thought on, on that? I think it's very interesting. Uh, you remember as well as I, Coy Privet and, and the big uh, uh, religious lobby that was just uh, anti-liquor by the drink, anti-opening uh, up North Carolina. So, so we've opened up bars and now we want to go, uh, this is, take it, I mean, understand this. This is a first step toward the legalization of marijuana in North Carolina. It is, is the way it's happened in most every state uh, that has attempted it, Virginia being one of the last uh, that just approved, I think, and, and authorized marijuana. I think that's what's going on. I, there is some medical evidence in some cases where uh, medical marijuana does help soothe some, some agony and pain with victims, uh, patients. Uh, but I think that in, in the main, uh, this is another one of those movements and by the way, I think it's kind of like gambling. It's not going to be long before we're going to have paramutual gambling in North Carolina. Uh, it started with the lottery and all that went on with that. Uh, so we're going to, we're going to uh, legalize marijuana, and then we're going to get into gambling and whatever. So this is just sort of a change in attitudes of the public. North Carolina is going to have uh, another casino, this one near a metropolitan area in Kings Mountain near Charlotte. On I-85, uh, that's, that's another example of something that probably would not have been considered uh, 10 years ago. or maybe. And then the Lumbee are going to get recognized down in the southeastern part of the state. They're going to be having a casino. I mean, uh, where does that stop? Well, it, of course, you know, as, uh, state lines are also kind of interesting because at first, uh, you know, uh, there will be in Kings yeah. Mountain, you'll have a lot of people from South Carolina. And as, as a matter of fact, the tribe of Indians that has the right to Kings Mountain is a South Carolina, South tribe. Carolina tribe. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about Medicaid expansion because that one does seem like it may be something that is still up for some discussion. Whereas uh, two years ago, it certainly was uh, uh, not even a matter of concern. And I, I may be wrong on that. Where, where do you see Medicaid expansion going and what do you see as the advantages and pros and cons of that issue? Well, this has been one of Roy Cooper's uh, big issues. He campaigned on election the first time. He campaigned on re-election on Medicaid expansion. Um, the House has indicated they might be willing to uh, give some flavor of Medicaid expansion. Um, uh, Phil Berger and the Senate uh, are still opposed to it. I don't see that happening. Uh, I think it's... I think it's uh, I think you can make a legitimate argument for why we ought to expand Medicaid. Certainly the hospitals in North Carolina, who, by the way, have offered to pay whatever additional state expense there is for this. Uh, the hospitals 
certainly would love to see it because it would take some of the burden off them so far as indigent care. But uh, I just don't see it happening. I think it's dead. Well, it, it uh, certainly past, uh, past experience would show that it would appear to be dead. Uh, but it, it does seem to have a little bit more life than it did uh, certainly two years ago. As you said, the House has uh, sent up uh, some smoke signals that perhaps they might be considering it. Now, another big issue that's coming up that uh, <laughs> will be uh, uh, much uh, discussion and uh, much concern to both Democrats and Republicans, and that's the matter of redistricting due to the uh, new census uh, and uh, the fact that uh, North Carolina will be gaining a congressman. How do you see and when do you see that the uh, House and the Senate will begin to focus on this? I'm sure there's already some work in, behind the scenes on it now. Uh, how do you see that proceeding? Well, uh, the Census Bureau tells us they're not even going to give us the final data so far as North Carolina's census uh, numbers are concerned until mid to late September. Now, think about this. We are supposed to be holding uh, primary elections. The 2022 primary elections are supposed to be uh, the first week in March or uh, March 10th or March 4th or something like that next year. Now, what this means, if you back the clock down, that means that candidates who are running for election have to file to run sometime in December. So we're not going to know what the final numbers are. We're not going to be able to, to have these districts put in place until at least mid-October uh, or mid-November. And, and now all of a sudden, candidates have to make up their mind, organize campaigns, and file to run for elections. I think, personally, that the first thing that the legislature should do is say, okay, we're going to go back for this year only, 2022, we're going to go back to May primaries so that candidates will have the opportunity to file uh, to run in January, uh, maybe into early February of next year. Uh, I think they ought to postpone these primary elections. Uh, there's a heck of a lot of time between May in November uh, for candidates to raise money and, and make their case. So that should not be a problem. But the, the larger issue here comes over drawing the maps. Now, uh, this business of drawing uh, district maps, boundary maps, has gotten so computerized and so automated to the point where, quite frankly, if we know what the parameters are, if we know what uh, the leadership wants, they could get these things drawn pretty quickly through computers and so forth. They are experts now that they could hire uh, to go about doing it. I, I, I still get concerned about the fact that for the sake of uh, democracy in North Carolina, we need an impartial redistricting commission. And I, don't, I wish I could tell you I had the wisdom to figure out how to go about doing it and constituting it in, a, in, in the way so that it didn't show favoritism for one party over the other or one section of the state over the other. Uh, but this is a terribly important decision uh, for North Carolina. There, there's so many trends that are taking place here. Our urban areas are getting larger and larger, and they are going to have a larger and, and more numerous uh, number of representatives, while our rural areas in the east and the far west are losing population or it's certainly not gaining it as fast as the urban areas are. 
they are going to be declining in importance uh, so far as representation is concerned. We're going to get a brand new uh, congressional seat, a 14th congressional seat in North Carolina. Uh, where is that seat going to be located? Uh, probably in one of these urban areas, uh, Charlotte, Raleigh, uh, maybe Greensboro, Winston-Salem. I'm not sure exactly how that's going to, to go out. But this independent redistricting commission could, could be so valuable in making sure that our elections really are fair and that uh, every candidate Here's my point. I don't care whether you're a Democrat or a Republican, an independent, whatever. I think every candidate ought to have a shot at being able to, to win an election. But when the districts are so gerrymandered, that is, the, the outcome is, is virtually uh, proven. Uh, if you're a Republican, you're going to get elected in this district. If you're a Democrat, you're going to get elected in this district. Uh, I, I just don't think that's that's good for our state. Uh, it, it's curious to me, the Republicans used to rail against this when the Democrats were doing the redistricting and say, you know, we need an independent redistricting commission. Well, guess what? In 2011, uh, they took charge in North Carolina. Don't hear anything out of them now so far as that. Uh, whoever's in power wants to remain in power. Power is the key issue here, Don. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's a case where uh, absolute power uh, often ends up being in corruption. And I'm not accusing anybody of that, certainly, but I just don't think uh, having too much power is, a, is in, in one hands or a few hands is good for our state. Well, it, it's, uh, of course, as you said, it, it's something that it, whoever is in power has always taken advantage of it. And so this is not necessarily, it, no, is, no. A part of, it is a partisan issue, but it, it's a partisan issue that, that whoever the party is in charge would, would always say, well, it, this is the way it ought to be. So. It really is not a partisan issue from that vantage point, yeah. because uh, whoever's out of power wants a redistricting commission, yeah. whoever's in power says no. What, what's your take on the uh, Raleigh City Council that's saying, okay, we, we want another year? Uh, I think they are, you know, I, I don't think, I don't see that as being a power play. I see that as being, okay, uh, the, the, uh, pop, the census data is not going to be in until late September. They were supposed to be having elections this fall, and we can't just, you can't divide the districts. We can't, you know, figure out who's going to be where uh, right, right this minute. It's going to take a while for that to happen. I think, I think it is probably sound for them to wait. Now, I don't know whether they need to wait a full year or not. Maybe it's next spring when they decide to do it and just extend the terms over until that time. But I, I think that um, I think there's some, some uh, good judgment there. It, this is one, though, that doesn't ring well with the public because, of course it, not. yeah, I mean, this, this this doesn't sound like it's a good decision, but it probably, as you said, does have merit. Yeah. It, yeah. It's one that's not well understood. Uh, and part of the of course, part of the problem is with the demise of the importance of the daily newspaper. A lot of these facts and figures are just not available to the average citizen to make a decision. on. And if I can just pat you on the back for just a second. This is part of the value of what you do on this show, because you give people the time 
uh, to be able to explain so the public can understand these issues. Uh, so many times it's not just an all black and white kind of thing. There's, there's a lot of gray area in there and you just need to be able to have the time to explain it. Well, as I said, you know, one of the bad things about uh, today's uh, cable choices is that people tend to listen to the, the, uh, Source that, that they already agree with. And so yep. they, they're basically reinforcing what they already believe without getting a good uh, view. As uh, someone said to me recently, where's Walter Cronkite when you need him? Well, true. And of course, Uncle Walter was not necessarily impartial either, but no. the, the news came across as being relatively fair and balanced. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, it's certainly an interesting time. And, uh, we, uh, uh, are, are, are going to forge a new way, I think, of inform, informing the public. And I'm not sure exactly when all of those factors will be in place. Our guest is Tom Campbell. and We will be back with another segment of Carolina Newsmakers. And we're going to turn to uh, federal politics and federal government when we return. As an 18-year-old, I let my mistakes kind of take over my life. I was 0.5 credits away from completing high school, and I didn't do it. Ten years later, at age 28, Jackie finished her high school diploma. When I found out that I was pregnant, I know that I had to do something for myself if I wanted to make her a better person and provide a better life for her. My family never stopped pushing for me to be better because they knew what I could become and who I could become as a person. My support team is amazing. The educational director, my sister, and even my seven-year-old daughter has just been more than the support that I could ask for. But I've been given an opportunity, and I'm just thankful for it. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. This is how we do every day. We be grinding. And if you want to come and text us. If you love them enough to turn off your music. And pretend like their music is your music. Ah, this is mommy's jam. Then surely you'll check NHTSA.gov slash the right seat to make sure they're in the right car seat. Let's play it again. Check today at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Act Council. Now once again with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest is Tom Campbell, former executive producer and creator and moderator of North Carolina Spin, now semi-retired uh, and still, though, a keen observer of what's going on in politics and state government. We'd like to have Tom's viewpoint and, uh, uh, in many cases, explanation of what, what, what the heck's going on. Uh, so let's turn to the, the federal government. And, uh, you know, one of the things I guess, Tom, we can all say is that in March of 2020, I, I guess we were all in March and April of last year, we all thought we would be in far worse shape than we are today. We are in far better shape than I think even the most optimistic folks thought we might be uh, last April or May. So things have turned out somewhat better. The economy is returning. Uh, unemployment is on one hand still high. On the other hand, <laughs> uh, people can't find anybody to work. Uh, so let's let's look at uh, federal government and what it needs to do under the new administration. Donald Trump, of course, uh, is still on the sidelines and, and has been relatively quiet uh, 
So I'd just like your sort of overview of where we stand, uh, the first uh, part of the Biden administration and also uh, maybe the future of Donald Trump and the GOP. Well, as you know, I have I have not been a Donald Trump fan or supporter. Um, I, I found it interesting that uh, who was it? New York Times or somebody uh, did a poll showing that he was one of the most least popular presidents in the history of of our nation. He ranked 41st out of, I think the 44, uh, 45 presidents. Uh, but let's, let's do give him credit. Uh, Operation Warp Speed, his efforts to, to fast track the development of vaccines uh, has paid for itself and, and has saved many lives. Uh, and now he had no plans for how to distribute it. But the fact that he got all of these pharmaceutical companies tuned into the same page, looking for the same uh, answers, I think uh, is probably going to be the lasting contribution uh, that he made. I think he's yesterday's news. Uh, I, I think that uh, there are still an awful lot of, of people who fear him to the extent that they rubber stamp stuff. I don't know whether you saw the interview that uh, uh, former Attorney General Barr did with, uh, and he basically said uh, with Jonathan Carl saying, hey, uh, we, we all knew that this was BS. We all knew that this election hadn't been stolen. But I'll tell you, I'm, a, I'm amazed that I continue to see uh, bumper stickers and signs saying Trump won. Uh, I don't know how his supporters think that's going to turn out, but I, I, you know, there's still an awful lot of people that feel that way. And frankly, it does not bode well. I don't think uh, for the future of this country, I think we have opened up into an era where whoever wins, whatever elections, they're going to be contested. They're going to be lawsuits. They're going to be bad feelings uh, and further divisions within this country at a time when I think that we probably need uh, more unity than we have in a long time. But to the point that you made originally, and this is, this is my column this week, and I'll, I'll give myself a little unabashed uh, uh, pat on the back here. This business of unemployment, uh, I, I tell the story about a guy in North Carolina, and you would know uh, – the, the store and probably the owner that I'm talking about uh, who a friend of his walked in one day and he's bagging ice owner of the store bagging ice. And his friend said, what in the world is the owner of the store doing bagging ice? And he said, well, we got this guy who's supposed to come in early every day and bag the ice so that, uh, hunters and fishermen that are going out uh, early in the morning will have fresh ice. And he said, but this guy likes to drink a lot. And there are a lot of occasions where he gets hung over and the next day he either doesn't show up or he's very, very late. And he said, well, why don't you fire them? Why don't you fire him? He said, man, I thought about that, but then who's going to bag the ice? Well, it, it's that type of situation uh, going on in this country today where people, uh, employers are looking for employees, but the employees aren't ready to go back to pre-COVID type conditions. 
the Bureau of Labor Statistics, and, and I'm quoting this from my column, uh, said that more people quit their jobs in April this year than any other period since they started keeping records. Five out of every 100 workers in hotels, restaurants, bars, and retail quit. Not only that, but it's just not low-paying jobs. Um, and the professional uh, sectors also, four in 10 employees are saying that they've considered uh, quitting or dropping out. More than 700,000 workers in the white-collar categories left in April. This is the biggest, the, the biggest exodus we've seen uh, in our lifetime. Uh, and a lot of people think that, well, uh, it's just because they're getting all these subsidies from the federal government. This $300 a week um, unemployment benefit that they're getting, when that goes away in early September, people are going to flood back to work. I'm not so sure about that, Don. I think there's a bit of a revolution taking place in this country. I think people had an opportunity to stay home, to work in their pajamas and attend meetings uh, on Zoom and, and spend some time with their families and not live in quite so hectic a pace. And uh, I think a lot of people enjoyed that and say, wait a minute. In fact, there was a survey that was done in, in, in Raleigh-Durham uh, back in April, I think, or May. 57% of the, the workers that they interviewed said they want to continue to be able to have control over how, when, and where they get their work done. They want to continue staying home. Now, the CEO of Morgan Stanley <laughs> recently told his employees, show up to work in September or else. Or else uh, yeah, I mean, and of course, the other thing that's going on at the same time, it's part of the same problem, is the supply chain. For example, yeah, uh, our company publishes, uh, or they're supposed to publish, uh, preseason football and basketball books for the ACC, the ACC football uh, right. edition. Well, uh, last year, of course, we we suspended publication because in, in September, we, I mean, in June and July, we didn't even know if there was going to be a football season, but this year we are ready to go back to Gore. So we call up our printer and our printer says, I've got enough paper to supply half of what you need. Yeah. I don't have now this is paper. Yeah. And of course the supply chain goes beyond that automobile dealers, of course, are finding it difficult to get new cars on their lot because of a shortage of computer chips. Uh, and, so the and, supply and chain. Used, car, used cars are selling for prices that are higher than they got when they were new. Yeah, uh, because the supply chain problem is, uh, and, you know, I guess we're all, we all know that it will be fulfilled, but the question gets to be when. Yeah, I, I don't so, think there's any. So I think there's some interesting dynamics that are taking place right now. Uh, if you look at it, if you look at what's taking place, workers' wages are going up. Now, you know, there was this hue and cry about passing, increasing the minimum wage. I think a lot of workers are figuring out that ain't going to happen. It hasn't happened. It's not going to happen. But they have more bargaining power than I think they thought they had prior to the pandemic. And so I think a lot of people are just holding out saying, hey, look, you want me to go back to that same job I had before? You're going to pay me more for it. I'm looking at a situation where uh, it was just released a couple of weeks ago that 
the average corporate executives, the top execs are making 227 times as much money as the average median employee pay. We're looking at a stock market that's recorded record highs in recent months. We're going to have supposedly a GDP gain around 7%. I think a lot of people are saying, hey, wait a minute. I want to share in the good times too. Well, it, the, all of that, you know, of course, all of these things uh, a year ago in last April, May, we we were all concerned about things like 401k plans and things oh, like yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're, I guess we're just very fortunate that none of this really happened because that could have caused considerable pain and considerable concern, considerable anxiety that, uh, uh, that part, at least we missed. And, uh, so we have blessings and we have curses out of this whole situation. We also have a situation where, uh, many people have found out that they can work remotely just as successfully. Uh, and so this may change the uh, amount of office space that uh, companies require and so forth. Uh, I don't think anything is ever going to beat face-to-face, but by the same token, uh, I know I uh, spend more time in my home office now than I did, and I actually get more done. There's no question about it. And, and the other part of it is you're able to kind of parse out when you do that work. I mean, so it might be that you get up now earlier in the morning and get to it, and, and work for a couple of hours. and then, it, might, it might be, but it's not likely. Well, not in your case. You're not an early riser. Uh, but, but I mean, so far, as, so far as a lot of these folks are concerned, they're finding out, hey, I can take an hour and a half lunch break and have dinner. I can have lunch with my family. Yeah. And, and guess what? I'm enjoying that. I like that. I, I, think, I think there is a, an element. I, we're going to see more office space come on the market, I think. Uh, than than we've had in the past because of this. And more people are going to be working from home. And you're going to see a bigger exodus from the big major markets like New York. Uh, People are going to find out there is a better and more uh, collegial lifestyle somewhere else that uh, they can enjoy. Exactly. uh, And get things done. I think you're going to see a big big amount of office space in New York available. Well, I think this too. I think this is going to be a boom for... Uh, rural areas of our state. I think people are going to say, hey, I don't have to work in Raleigh. Okay, they want me there one day a week or maybe even two days a week. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to move to Bailey or I'm going to move to Johnson County or I'm going to move you know, to Harnett County. And I'm go- I want to live where it's cheaper to live. The pace is less. There's not as much traffic. The schools are pretty good. I can send my kids there. The, the, whole, the whole structure of this. And so I guess where I come out on this is the remaining part of this year is going to be really interesting to see how a lot of these variables sort out. Tom, uh, we've got about a minute uh, and a half for you to to give me your answer on this. So what kind of grades would you give uh, President Biden for his the first four or five months of his administration or the first half year actually now of his administration? I think I'd give him a B. Um, First of all, candidly, anybody who wasn't Donald Trump was going to have an advantage because I think the public was tired of the bombastic, sarcastic, uh, us versus them kind of, of mentality that was going on in the White House. I think they were ready for things to calm down a little bit. I think Biden has done a good job of that. 
uh, I think he has obviously probably had more experience than just about anybody we ever elected president before. I mean, between his Senate experience and vice presidential experience, I think in general, he's handled things fairly well. I think there have been some cases where um, he, he has uh, put his foot in his mouth and, and uh, has had to backtrack on some things. I think that he was successful in getting this major infrastructure bill across. Uh, I think it's going to, I mean, the, the relief bill, I think it's going to be interesting whether he can get infrastructure done or not. Well, and that, by the way, that is uh, the top of my list to discuss in the next segment of Carolina Newsmakers, our last segment with Tom Campbell. We will be talking about infrastructure, and we'll also be talking about legislation that is uh, also under consideration by Congress in other areas as well. And we'll do that when we return with the next segment of Carolina Newsmakers with our guest, Tom Campbell, former uh, uh, creator and moderator of North Carolina Spin. So you stay tuned. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Tom and Levi. Tom is the smartest man I know. He's been a professor at two major universities, He's been a teacher for over 40 years. One day, he told me that he was having um, problems in his classes. I think one of the students had asked the question and he didn't remember the answer. And I also noticed that he was letting his class out earlier than they were supposed to let out. And he was telling them that he was doing it as a favor to them, but I think in reality, he just wanted to get out of there. Um, I was really starting to worry because I saw something was wrong. Levi and I talked about how it would change our lives, but he was there beside me, and my love for him was just immense. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash stories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Hey, hon, what you doing with your phone? Taking pictures? No, I'm asking questions. Like what? Hey, Bobo, do flowers have best friends? I'm sorry, I'm afraid I don't know that. Hey, follow me. I want to show you something. Look, flowers do have best friends. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back with Tom Campbell here on Carolina Newsmakers. Tom, of course, the uh, uh, just ended a 22-year run with North Carolina Spin. North Carolina Spin was a, f- a feature of uh, UNC TV uh, for, uh, uh, for the majority of that time. And uh, as I said, he, uh, back when he had good sense, was a broadcaster. Uh, and now he's uh, almost totally useless. <laughs> he's, he's retired. At least that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Uh, Tom, uh, uh, we, we uh, do still, of course, value your opinion because we know you're still writing a weekly column and uh, keeping up with things. And one of the things that we wanted to talk about in this segment is the proposed infrastructure plan. Uh, we talked about the fact that North Carolina government is flush with money, not only from its own resources, but also the the huge amount of federal money that's coming in. Let's talk about the infrastructure plan that is up. What will it mean to North Carolina and uh, what are its prospects of, of total passage and, and implementation? Well, I think that the fact that the infrastructure across this country is in as bad a shape as it is is a testimony to 
what's going on in, in our country and our Congress. Uh, the fact that we can't get people, you know, it used to be that passing an infrastructure bill was almost a no-brainer. Everybody wanted to sign on to that bill because it meant roads and highways and water systems and rail transportation and so forth back home in their districts, and they could go home and brag about all this. It has become so partisan and so political today that we haven't really been able to address it. And uh, we are way, way behind in this country insofar as our infrastructure is concerned and, and desperately need to do something uh, about public uh, facilities. Now, um, does it need to be a trillion, two trillion? Does it need to be 800 million? What is it? I don't know. Uh, my hope is uh, that it will get through. The problem that I see is it's become so partisan. Uh, Mitch McConnell has essentially said, anything that Biden's for, I'm against. Um, well, you know, that's not, that's not a good thing. Well, the, the Democrats, on the other hand, are saying, okay, we're going we're gonna to design this thing in such a way that we've got this infrastructure bill, but then we're going to attach to it uh, a bill which doesn't require uh, a passage uh, in the Senate by 60 votes. It just requires one more than half. Well, that means all they got to do is get one Republican uh, on board and keep all their Democrats, which, by the way, I'm not totally sure that they can do. But we do need the infrastructure. We, it would be good. Uh, for instance, uh, North Carolina stands to benefit uh, from federal highway money, bridge money. Uh, we also uh, stand to benefit from Amtrak. I think that a lot of people have, you know, I think we, we had this mistaken belief that federal transportation, like rails, passenger rail service, had to pay for itself. Well, guess what? There are lots of federal uh, items that don't pay for themselves and they're never going to pay for themselves. And so I, I think we just need to understand that uh, to take congestion off some of our highways, uh, to improve traffic safety and passenger safety, uh, we need to do some of these things uh, for uh, the public good. This is where I think using pub, uh, tax money for public good makes some sense. Um, so I, my hope is that it will get passed. Uh, I'm, I'm not wrapped around the axles, and I don't think the president is either, uh, as how big it has to be. Uh, but I'm, I'm hoping that uh, we can get this done. Now, if that happens, uh, I don't think there's any question about the fact that Democrats are going to call it a big victory. Uh, if it doesn't happen, by the way, and if, if Republicans don't vote for it in the Senate particularly, uh, then you're going to see a lot of challenges in 2022 and 24 uh, from candidates on the other side saying, hey, your representative didn't vote to improve your roads. Your representative didn't vote to improve your bridges and so forth like that. Again, it, it's, it's a, a picture of what's going on in this country today, and I think it's unhealthy. Here's a, here's a concern I've got about it. Now, I, I, I totally agree with you. We, we, we should have been tending more to infrastructure for a long time. Um, but one of the concerns I've got right now is we're having hard enough time in, in private business finding employees. 
how are we going to find people to do the work for all this stuff that we're going to buy? All these new things are going to be, are we going to be able to find people to do the job? Yes. Uh, I mean, that's, that's, I mean, the, the amount of money that this pumps into the economy is also uh, uh, of interest because somebody's going to have to do that work. Somebody. Yeah. Uh, th- we're going to find to- those people Don. Yeah. But let me say this employers are going to have to pay more than they're paying now. Well, that, that goes without saying. And of course, now that brings, what that, that, means that, brings is, a, that brings the prospect of inflation up. Well, it brings inflation up, but it also brings up uh, the need for a lot of businesses to become more efficient in their operation. I think you're going to see a lot more automation. I mean, I think you're, the day is coming. McDonald's has been playing around with this. Other, other places are too. The day is coming when you order your hamburger from a machine in the lobby not from somebody behind the counter. Uh, The day is coming. It's partially here already where your accounting work gets done by machines, by automation, rather than totally by, by humans. There may be a human supervising it, uh, but we're going to see a lot more automation and efficiency and productivity. By the way, productivity is up in, in America. I mean, even with this pandemic, uh, the, the uh, productivity of America has improved. Uh, in recent years. So I think that's going to be part of it. Part of it is going to be um, businesses. And I'm thinking particularly about smaller businesses. I'm thinking about the kind of business that I used to have uh, where frankly, there wasn't always a heck of a lot of money there to pay anybody, much less me. And uh, I I think we're going to have to learn how to be more efficient so that we can stay in business and still remain profitable. I I believe very firmly you've got to be profitable in order to be able to continue the the operation. But I think at the same time, uh, we're going to have to get smarter and better. And I I think ultimately we got to understand we'll have to pay more. I think when that happens, you're going to see a lot of these people that have been sitting on the couch come back to work. The one thing that uh, has been very interesting to me as far as bipartisanship, and that has been both on the state level and the federal level, is the, the keen interest in extending broadband because I think both parties apparently see the advantage of, uh, of what the broadband can do in uh, not only medical care, but also in uh, economic development in uh, depressed areas. So broadband seems to be one area that, uh, especially on the state level, that everyone can agree this is a priority. You put your finger on something that is is vitally important. One of the things that happened during COVID was the increase in the amount of telemedicine that is going on. Uh, the, The truth of the matter is that there are an awful lot of these rural areas that are never going to be able to have hospitals again. They're not going to be able to afford to have uh, big uh, medical staffs who, who live there and work there. Telemedicine is going to be important. I, I, think, I think that what you're saying, and I agree with it totally, is you can't do business. You can't be uh, an astute consumer. You can't live today without broadband, high-speed internet broadband. It is the same today as it was for rural electric back in the 20s and 30s. Uh, of the last century. And I think that people are coming to that realization. And I think that the days of having uh, universal broadband uh, available uh, is fast here. 
Well, as I said, that that seems to be something that uh, is a bipartisan issue and, and uh, uh, is certainly going to be uh, uh, a part of any infrastructure bill or infrastructure budgeting, whether it's part of the infrastructure plan or a separate plan on its own. It's something that uh, appears to be well on its way. Well, Tom, we've got uh, about, uh, about uh, three minutes left. So what should we be watching for over the next uh, 30 to 60 days? Uh, let's first take the state side, and then we'll, if we have time, we'll look at uh, what we should look at on the federal level. But to start with the state level, what what do you expect to happen in the next 30 to 60 days? Well, I think that we're going to continue this economic expansion. I think prosperity is going to continue. North Carolina is going to continue to have population growth. We are still a very attractive state. Uh, with all the life sciences plants uh, that are announcing and coming into our state with big uh, uh, whales, as they used to call them in economic development, like Apple and Amazon and, and, and companies like that locating in North Carolina. I, I see a very bright prospect for our future. And I, I hope that we will have leadership that will be willing to uh, expand education and infrastructure uh, and, and the, the things that we need in order to be able to meet those. I think the country is also going to have this. I think we're going to see pockets where um, it's going to be brighter than it is uh, in other areas. Uh, I think that we're going to continue to see the divisive polarization uh, of politics. Uh, I'm very concerned for that. Uh, I'm very concerned about the media business. I think that people like Radio stations and local newspapers are vitally important to the future of our country, being able to provide good information for folks. And I worry about that because I'm seeing too many uh, demises uh, or deaths of, of uh, once viable uh, media voices. But I think that the country will continue in a lot of what's going on. I think politically, uh, in all probability, uh, Joe Biden is going to continue to maintain a fair degree of popularity. It's what now, 56%. That's higher than Donald Trump ever had in his best days. So I think we're going to continue to see that for a while. I think the 22 elections are going to be very interesting and very important for the future of the country. Well, and we didn't even get to talk about that because uh, we talked about redistricting, but uh, the... Uh, the razor thin margin of the Republican Party and the Democratic uh, and the democratically controlled Senate uh, could very easily change uh, in the midterm election. Very and easily. So, so next time you're on with us, we probably should spend a little bit of time talking about that. I don't have enough time to start another uh, question with you, but uh, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us. Tom Campbell, the uh, former moderator of North Carolina Spin, that, as we said, ran for 22 years on the air most recently on WUNC-TV, or now North Carolina Public Television. Uh, our program has been produced by Jason Kong, and he'll have another interesting guest for us next week on the same group of stations. So until next week, uh, we remind you that you can get in touch with us at, at uh, carolinanewsmakers.com. Have a good week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong 
Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.